to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. So our first speaker, Dr. Shahana Alibi, uh, she has been invited on to launch our summit as our keynote speaker. And Dr. Alibi's parents escaped Uganda as refugees and landed in Canada. She was raised to find a stable and safe career. She ended up pursuing medicine and practices today as a family doctor and is mother of three very energetic boys. She's a motivating and inspiring public speaker, and she is famous for her TED Talk, Emotional Literacy for Better Mental Health. But like each of us, she has a story. And after completing her residency in family medicine and having her first son, the stressors of life caught up with her. And as much as she knew how to maintain a healthy lifestyle, she found herself at rock bottom with postpartum anxiety the lesser known diagnosis. So I am thrilled to have Dr. Shahana Alapai with us today as we launch our first annual Mental Health Summit. Dr. Alapai, thank you so much for joining me. It is such a pleasure to be here. And thank you, honestly, for having this idea and not only just having an idea, but being able to put this together. And like you said, this is gonna change people's lives. We're in a time where we need to be talking about mental health more than ever before. So to have these experts, to have this forum where we can gather together is just so important. So this, as I've called it, is your time. Now, as was said in the introduction, yes, I'm a family physician. I practice in British Columbia in Canada here. I have three very energetic young boys and life was good. You know, things were ticking along well. I always say when you enter medicine, it's almost like ent entering a, a hamster wheel. You kind of go in and you go round and round and round until you spit out at the other end. And that's exactly what happened for about 10 years. But it was after I finished medicine that I realized that I had this longing, of course, to become, you know, as many moms do, a, a mom. And after I gave birth to the first, my first son, I should say, you know, I began to realize that I was having these symptoms. Now I could recognize these symptoms a mile away if I had seen it in another colleague or a patient of mine. I could recognize that I was having panic attacks. I could have recognized that I was depressed, but when it came to myself, I couldn't recognize it. It took me over a year in order to be able to get the help that I needed. And the ironic part about this is that my job is to sit in front of young adults, adolescents, and ask them to talk openly to me about their mental health. You know, we use the question, what brings you in today? But do we ever stop and think about how vulnerable that question is? How much courage it actually takes to answer that question authentically? And I'll have to say, I never did. I saw doctors, I saw nurses, they'd say, what brings you in? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, I'm great, I'm surviving, I'm coping. But beneath the shame, beneath the denial, beneath the stigma was a woman whose only thought was that I, my child would be better off if I wasn't here. And it was that thought that make me, made me realize that 
mental health is not a you disease. It is not a me disease. It's an our issue. You know, I would never have a patient come to me and say, you know, doctor, I'm just too good for exercise. You know, like I just don't need it. My body is just perfect the way that it is. No patient's ever going to tell me that. No patient's ever going to say that, you know, I can eat whatever I want and I look the same and I feel great. No, none of us ever question, even though we don't do it, the need to train our body physically. But we never, ever use that same rhetoric in terms of mental health. So I've come up with this, that mental health should be just like for me, mental meant for all health. But the issue for me was this. It was ego. It was shame. And it was what we never talk about, the stigma about mental health. And yes, we might say the word stigma, but finally today, I want to invite the elephant into the room, this idea of when I have these conversations with patients, why they're so sheepish to tell me that they're actually suffering or that their child is suffering or that they've noticed tendencies in their parents. And it's time that we call the stigmas out. It's time that we say that people believe that mental health is totally in your control. That people believe that if I improve my mental health, just like a sprained ankle, it should get better and better and better with time. That's what people believe. And last but not least is just like you've cured yourself, you know, from a skin infection and that wound is healed over, that once you're okay with mental health, that once your depression is okay, once your anxiety is okay, you'll always be better, right? We never talk about this. We keep saying shame and stigma and denial, but what is the stigma? And we know those of us who have walked a road as a patient, as a practitioner, as a physician, we know that those three truths are actually three lies, that mental health is not completely in our control. Yes, you can think yourself better to a point. Yes, you can take medication to improve yourself to a point. But the best analogy I can give somebody is that when you're suffering with the depression, it's like having a monster underneath your bed or having someone behind your back. You know, you can keep pushing forward, but we don't talk about the fear of fear, the fear of it coming back, the fear of feeling so numb, the fear of feeling so lonely, the fear of feeling like you're alone. And all of this adds up to a simple truth. And the simple truth is that when you talk to somebody who's really suffering with this stuff, and I know it firsthand. If I ask them the simple question of, do you love yourself? Do you care about yourself? They'll look at me almost as if I'm crazy and say, what? No. They'll use a lot of expletives as well. And they'll say, I hate myself. I hate myself. Because feeling like you're not in complete control, feeling like you want to live up to something and yet you can't, and feeling the burden of stigma leads to this chronic feeling of low self-worth. And then what? Now we're expecting you to fish oil your way out of this, yoga your way out of this. It's not that easy. And then something changed for me. And his name was Josh. He sat before me. And as I said, I work primarily with adolescents between the ages 12 and 24. And many of the adolescents I work with are very high risk. And Josh was no exception to that. 
And the way my office works is that my back is actually facing them. It's towards the computer. It's not the ideal setup. So I have to keep spinning around in order to be able to see the patient and take notes. And as I'm taking a couple of notes and I ask my common, you know, tell me about your family history. Tell me about your mother. Tell me about your father. He quickly rambles off that, you know, my mom's on the streets. She's been into drugs for as long as I can know. I don't even know if she's alive. And my dad's serving a life sentence. And I slowly swiveled my chair from taking what I thought would be rudimentary notes over to him. And my face must have just probably looked shocked, maybe looked a bit sad, maybe a bit confused. Because here I, seeing this beautiful 16-year-old in front of me who's never really met or known what a typical family unit is. And immediately when he saw my face, he looked at me and said, don't feel sorry for me. And I was taken aback by that. I said, no, no, I'm not. I don't feel sorry for you. I'm just taking a moment to take in what you just just told me. And then he told me this. Don't feel sorry for me because I see myself as a person with potential. I see myself as a person with potential. And he went on to tell me about his dreams, how, and I still remember it, this was years ago. He wanted to become a mechanical engineer and he wanted to have you know, his own business on the side and he was a musician and he had all of these goals and dreams and aspirations. And I thought to myself that what is different with him? Why can't we have more Josh's out there And how can I unlock a patient's potential? Because I hate the notion that my only job is a prescription pad. It can't be. I always tell my patients that me signing a prescription for Zoloft takes about two seconds. That's the easy part. The hard part is this. The hard part is knowing your story. The hard part is unlocking potential. So if I just told you that people with depression and anxiety, including myself, have this chronic state of emptiness, this state of low self-worth, but then you get someone like Josh who just blew my mind in terms of what he said, I couldn't get this question out of my head. How can we as parents, practitioners, physicians, counselors, healthcare support workers, people who are listening right now and who are gonna be listening, You have these people in your life and how can you unlock their potential? And I've become obsessed with this idea. And now every patient I see, I see through the lens of how can I unlock their potential? And I've come up with three simple ways. The first way is this, exactly what Josh did. Own your story. I see so many young people who will tell me I have nothing to give. Like what? I'm 15 years old. I don't know my family. I've been into drugs for as long as I can know. You're telling me that I have something to offer. And I'll retort and say that the only thing that you have that's only yours is your story. So tell it to me. Tell it to me and tell it to others. And they will. Studies have been done that the number one protective factors of an adolescent is a trusted, not just a parent, but a trusted adult someone that they can feel like they can actually trust and open up to. So if you're having someone like this in your your life, 
encourage them that their story, within their story, lies their seeds of greatness. And the first time they share their story, it's going to be so uncomfortable, just like it was for me. But I'll never forget, finally, after suffering for over a year, just like I told you, after the birth of my first child, I was at work. So I went to work very soon. And the work was to escape. And I turned to a colleague that I didn't know that well. And I said, you know what? Can I tell you what I've been going through? And I did. And she looked over at me and said words that I will never forget. She said, me too. She said, after the birth of my first child, I went through a time that brought me to my knees. And it was that solidarity, that me too. If we can give that to our patients and those that we work with, that idea that you're not alone in this, that speaks volumes. The second thing that I will constantly do for my youth is recognize or help them recognize their values. I had a patient just this last week who sheepishly told me that, you know, that he was, he'd done all, he's like, I've done every drug under the sun. And, you know, he was going on and on about this. And then he kind of said, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm so good at doing drugs that he's like, my friends will actually come up to me and tell me, well, should I mix this with this? You know, what side effects would I get with this? And he was a little bit, you know, shy when he was telling me that. So I paused for a second. I said, you know, you might be embarrassed to tell me that, but what you're actually telling me is that your friends trust you. Your friends see you as worthy. Your friends are able to open up to you. Like you're seeing it from a different point of view, but I see a friend who is trusted and a companion. And he kind of looked at me and said, I've never thought about it that way. So it's up to us to help identify these core values that a lot of these adolescents have and are strong, but they just can't realize it. And last but not least, I always finish with this. Acknowledge how far you have come. A patient just two weeks ago had told me that, you know, I've been into Coke and fentanyl and I've, you know, I gave all of that up, but I just can't give up my vape and I just can't, can't give up smoking weed. And I said, okay, okay, we can work on that. But can you just take a second, what you just told me, people take a lifetime to get over. I want you to just take a second to say, that's incredible that you've been able to walk away from that. And by the way, he was 14, 14. I said, you have your whole life ahead of you now, but I'm going to give you permission to acknowledge just how far you've come. But we live in a society where we believe that acknowledging yourself is leniency means that you just don't care when, when in fact, acknowledging yourself is the guarantee of future progress. And if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it today. So before I wrap up, I want to acknowledge each and every one of you for making the time, whether it's on your car ride, whether it's on your walk or your run, whether you're running to pick up the kids or whether you're here live with us, you're obviously pulled to this for a reason. Something about this is speaking to you. Maybe you have a loved one in your life. Maybe it's you yourself personally. But just by making the effort to show up today, it's me acknowledging you for how far you've come. Enjoy the rest of the summit. You have lots to learn. And I can't wait to stay tuned. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Dr. Alibi. I love those three ways to unlock our potential. 
own your story, recognize your value, and acknowledge how far you have come. And I really, um, it's just tugging at my heart how we can help people get past the stigma um, to, to, to share your story. Uh, because I'll, I'll just speak for myself. At times, I just feel like people will judge it. But yet, actually, as we are more vulnerable, it opens up more connection with others. And, and as hard as that is, like you said, it's going to be the hardest thing to share your story for the first time. Um, it will inspire, encourage, and help others connect and realize, hey, I'm not alone. That's so powerful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Hey there, it's Karn. I hope that you're enjoying the show. And by the way, if you're a mom who wants to learn how to help your child when they're struggling behaviorally or facing challenges in school, get started today by getting my free short video course, Three Steps to Happy Healthy Kids at www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in learning how to have a happy, healthy life with your kids. So head on over to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video and grab your free gift today. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.